Do you live in the middle of nowhere and feel separated from the church? Yeah, that's me. Or do you think the church is out of touch? Absolutely. Then this podcast is for you. Coming to you from the Diocese of Sioux City. What? Where the hell is Sioux City? Welcome to Outcast Catholic with your hosts, Father Sheen Demon and Father Travis Crotty. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to this edition of Outcast Catholic. I'm Father Shane Demon, and I'm flying solo today. Poor Father Travis is working hard saving souls left and right, and he's not able to join us. But nevertheless, the show must continue, and we are pleased to welcome back on Outcast Catholic Sister Carolyn of the Franciscan Sisters of the Martyr St. George. Sister, welcome back to Outcast Catholic. Great to be back with you and back in the Diocese of Sioux City. Once You've been again. here a lot recently. I have. You've been doing a lot of Midwest tours. I 29. It's right, you know, it's, it's the thoroughfare. <laughs> It's the thoroughfare for every vocation director in the Midwest. Fargo, right? you got to go through. You've been Bismarck, Fargo, Bismarck, Omaha, Lincoln, all the places. Yeah, well, welcome back. Uh, we just got done with a uh, high school retreat that we were doing together up in Remsen, Iowa, and it was a great day. Kind of Shout working out on to Remsen St. Mary's, all the loyal listeners from there. Yeah, we were we were just kind of working with those students on building a, a relationship of prayer with the Lord, with heart speaking to heart. And I thought it was a good day. I thought they were very interactive and pretty cooperative and engaging. Yeah, it was great. It was great to be back with high school students again. I spent seven years of my religious life working with high school students, and it was a blast. So yeah. it was fun. And most of, the, most of the work you do now is on a college campus uh, or working with adults in terms of uh, young adults with their own discernment. Sure. I'm in, I'm in high schools fairly regularly to give vocation oh, yeah. talks and theology classes and stuff. Okay, but good. Well, welcome back. Thanks. It's good to yeah, have you. Great to be back. Yeah, and you got to go to Lamar's. I did, ice cream capital of the world, <laughs> for sure. Couldn't yeah. drive through there and not stop. No, we had to. We made sure you had to sample the the goodness of Northwest Iowa here, sister. It's great to have you as a as a consecrated religious back on the show. Um, we kind of did some episodes recording. Oh, how long ago was that? Now it's probably over a year. Yeah, I was going to say it was in the fall. It's been probably a year, year and a half now uh, that we recorded some episodes together. Unfortunately, one of those files got corrupted, so we have to redo that. We lost the audio file, audio file on that particular episode. But it's good to have you back on on the uh, the show here. And one of the things that I wanted to do today is, since you are a bride of Christ, since you're a consecrated religious, uh, I just want to talk about that identity and how that might seem like a really outcast idea to so many people. I, you know, I, I witnessed that today as people come up to you and they're just like, <laughs> what are you? Is that veil real? Like, are you a real nun? Is this a Halloween costume? Um, so I was really interested in just kind of talking through how that, you know, affects people, but also more deeply the vocation itself and how it enriches the church. Um, you know, and just kind of as a launching uh, you know, topic here, you're familiar with um, the Carr Institute. Yes, the Center for Applied Research in the Apostolate. Very good. And they do a really good job, you know, especially in the summer months as people are taking vows, uh, men are being ordained deacons or priests. They do a really good job, this center, of, of cataloging all the different, you know, statistics going on in the church. What's going on with the average age of seminarians or men and women entering religious orders, how many ordinations or, or vows are being taken. And, you know, they, they track U.S. data over a, a long period of time, and some really compelling numbers came out in the past year or two. And it's, it's interesting to see a decline in religious vocations going back to 1970. The total number of priests back in 1970 in the United States, counting diocesan and religious, 
were, was over 59,000 uh, back in 1970. And today that number is 35,000 religious uh, priests and diocesan priests combined. Oh, religious and priests, diocesan. Okay, that's striking. Yeah, so I mean, that's like a 24,000 drop in the amount of priests. But that really pales in comparison to the women religious number. Um, Back in 1970 here in the United States, we had 160,000 consecrated women in religious uh, living, religious communities. And as of 2020, we had 41,000. So 160,000 down to 41,000. Uh, that is a far, far more drastic drop than priests ever experienced here in the United States. Um, and of course, the deacons have gone up tremendously since the kind of the, the reconstitution of the diaconate, the permanent diaconate following the Second Vatican Council. As you listen to those numbers, sister, what strikes you first? Yeah, I think, first of all, just the huge difference over the course of just 50 years. 50 years is not that long of an amount of time. Mm -hmm. Uh, To go from 160,000 to 40,000 approximately is is a pretty stark drop. Yeah, and not only is that just a stark drop in terms of uh, an overall statistic, but that that has a concrete felt reality in our schools, in our parishes, in the overall functioning of a convent or a monastery, to take that to take that big of a hit, um, there's a lost cultural presence there in which the brides of Christ are not there. Absolutely. Even this morning at Mass in Remsen, uh, this woman stopped me and she said, I was the last class at this school that had all sisters mm. as, as teachers. She um, never had a lay she teacher. She never had a lay teacher. She had a, a coach that was a lay person. But other than that, she had all religious sisters as her teachers. And now she herself was teaching at the school. So it's just kind of interesting to see, um, to see that, that connection and that disconnect. And even this afternoon running into a, uh, an older woman, she said she was 98, I think. And she mm-hmm. was going on about how she knew sisters and loved the sisters and always had sisters and hadn't seen a sister in years. <laughs> yeah, you just, you wonder, it's probably hard for young people to imagine that. But for for that generation to have all of their education and, and Christian formation to be given by consecrated women, um, boy, how vastly different that is. Obviously, lay people bring many gifts, a lot of expertise in various you know educational fields, and they have their own sense of holiness and their lived vocation as a single person, married person, whatever. But to to receive that formation for someone who from someone who was constantly living community life, a habit of prayer, had probably been really disciplined in hopefully their own theological background and their their growth of virtue, uh, be a vastly different education that they would have received in those days. Right, even just the very nature of consecration and the, and the word itself meaning set apart mm-hmm. and, the, and the sense of being a consecrated religious who has been given over through the evangelical councils and that constant and consistent living of the councils in the classroom is such a, a powerful witness. Absolutely. Um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, this, this woman came up to us today and she was just kind of stunned by the habit you're wearing and she had questions about your veil and the colors of your habit. Um. How often do you get questions like that? Because you, you're, you're obviously uh, a, a rare commodity you yes. know, for a religious sister to be out in public. Absolutely. Right? It's like sisters in their natural habitat. People are like trying to sneakily take pictures. I'm like, hey, I'll just pose for you. It'd be right. less awkward for everybody involved. <laughs> you know, we were at the zoo and there was a bunch of us there together once and people were taking uh, pictures of an empty... It was like an empty exhibit, right. but they were actually taking pictures of us as we were walking you past. You are so, the we exhibit. You are the exhibit. So, yes. 
ironically outside of the penguin exhibit, but that's what happens. Mm -hmm. So it is, it's a, it's a rare commodity to see a sister in a religious habit. And I do get questions all the time and airports are my favorite uh, because it's just, you get the stares and people just don't even, they don't even care. And they just stare straight up and, and the, but the conversations that I've had because of the religious habit, it's really been an entry point into some really beautiful moments. And even the young woman that we spoke with today, mm-hmm. uh, she just had all these questions and, and clearly had some troubled things going on, troublesome things going on in her life and mm-hmm. felt very safe to, to begin a conversation with us. Right. So. Well, and, and that's why we as priests wear clerics, you know, it's a, it's a symbol that we are available. It's a symbol that, uh, we have given ourselves to something bigger than ourselves. We're available in the church. We're available for con- uh, conversations. I always find going through the Atlanta airport, I have more conversations there about the faith or people who want confession in Atlanta. Granted, it is probably the busiest airport in the world, so just per capita, you're going to have quite a, uh, you know, quite a reach there. Uh, and I don't know, maybe down in the Bible Belt, there's a little bit more openness to talking about the faith than perhaps in some northern cities in their airports. But I, I do find you know, there's a lot of good traction that happens in airports, mm-hmm. absolutely. And that is that is the beauty of being able to wear this visible sign of the consecration, which was so prevalent in schools and even in hospitals and other places uh, mm-hmm. you know, prior to 1970, um, but definitely since then, the stark decline. Right. So, you know, with this drop that we're looking at, the statistic from 1970 going from 160,000 consecrated women religious in the United States down to 41,000 in 2020, what comes to mind for you in terms of maybe some things that led to that decline, uh, some of the realities that our culture and the church has had to grapple with. Sure. I I read a book several years ago that spoke about the perfect storm of the industrial revolution, the technological revolution, and the sexual revolution, Mm. and how those three things came together. Just our understanding of the human person declines, and there's a lot of effects for individuals and for families. And I think just the, the effect on families and smaller family sizes and there was a time where the culture was you have a large family and so you can give one of your children to the Lord. And I, I'm not sure if I've spoken about this on the podcast before, but my sister is also a religious sister. There's just three of us. Mm-hmm. And two out of three of us have heard a call from God to to follow him as a bride. So That's awesome. Um, and it's, and it's kind of crazy because I didn't grow up in a family that ever brought that up and said, this is something you could think about. It was very much just the, the work of the Holy Spirit. And my mom has even said that. She got almost like apologized for never having even proposed it as a possibility uh, so I think just families that are shrinking and then also families who don't even know to propose this as a possibility for their children. I'm actually hosting um, a mother-daughter event at the convent in a few weeks for moms and daughters to come and, and just have a tour and experience what life in a convent is like. Because um, I think part of it, too, there's a fear of my child won't be happy. I, mm-hmm. encur- I encounter a lot of moms, especially, who don't think their daughters can be happy as consecrated religious because they only know what it's like to be happy as a bride and a mother and a family. Right. And so the possibility that their daughter could be happy doing something else is very foreign and they're... <coughs> very reticent to support that as a possibility. So just inviting moms and daughters to come and see what it's actually like inside. Mm -hmm. Uh, My own grandmother was devastated that her two oldest granddaughters were going to enter the convent because in her culture, it was very much um, that the woman who entered religious life couldn't find a husband. So she's Mm. like, here we go. We got my two oldest granddaughters. Apparently they can't find husbands and they're going to enter the convent. And that's losers. (laughs) Seriously. (laughs) And a reminder about the many boyfriends that I brought home for her to meet. But no. um, So yeah, just it's not part of the the cultural milieu and the lack of visibility in parishes then. Um, And sadly the media, the way that media, the media portrays religious sisters in movies. And I mean, you know, sister act and sound of music is a lot of people's understanding of what religious life is and, Hate to break it to you folks, but that's not always the case. So, Well, no, there's not a lot of 
those two movies in particular don't exactly show a lot of joy in terms of living the gospel. Uh, there's also not a real sense of like the apostolate. Mm-hmm. Like what is it that you're rolling up your sleeves and doing to help advance the kingdom of God beyond just living the charism with your own identity as a bride of Christ? There's a whole apostolate work that is engaged um, for those who are, are actively out in, in serving in a community. And yeah, those two movies don't really capture that whole essence of what it means to be an actual religious family. Right. And, and even just the idea of a bride, like when we think of a bride on her wedding day, we don't picture a woman who's like miserable walking down the aisle, hopefully, right. or that would like raise some red flags for some people to stand up and object if that's what they saw. Right? right. But the idea of a bridal identity is to be a woman who's given in love. And I remember the day of my own final vows. And when I walked down the aisle, there was this real deep sense of, I am being given away in love in a very powerful way right now. And I want to live that kind of radiant joy every day. Mm. Now, does that mean that every day is sunshine and roses and, you know, picnics? No, it heck, heck no. But at the same time, there is a deep and abiding joy. Um, one of my favorite little invocations is Jesus smiling face when I pray. And just kind of like a, this, this hidden secret that we share, even in really difficult or kind of not so great situations that because I'm with him and because he's chosen me to live life with him in the same way that a husband chooses a woman to live life with him as his bride, that there is a deep and abiding joy and a, and a surrender that can take place in the midst of that. That's beautiful. So going back to this perfect storm of the industrial revolution, the technological revolution and the sexual revolution that obviously changes kind of family dynamics. It changes maybe career opportunities. It changes how the human person understands themselves and what they're capable of giving to the world. Are there any other characteristics that you think has really shaped this big drop in consecrated women? Yeah, I think with with that perfect storm, um, we tend to look more outside of ourselves than inside of ourselves to recognize the shape of our heart. Uh, And even... I don't know, there's a lot of easy way outs with the technological revolution. We have all these things that make our lives very easy, and it could be looked upon as, wow, religious life, you know, we don't have some some of the more modern things that people would want to have at their fingertips at all times, and we take vows of poverty, and we have vows of obedience that kind of prevent us from amassing all the material things, and, and yeah, taking the easy way out. And so there is something to be looked at. People don't want to do hard things, uh, but then people aren't too afraid to go to the military. Like there, There is a sense of like mission, and that's part of it too. You mentioned the word apostolate. Mm-hmm. There's a definitive apostolate within the consecrated life as well. Like in addition to the witness of consecration that each community with their particular charism that they bring to the church has a work that they're doing in the name of the church and in the name of Christ who sends out his apostles to carry on his work. And so uh, to be able to live a renewed sense of mission and and who we are and what we do. Mm. Which is not often easily understood. Correct. And it takes a Yeah. I mean, even for myself entering the community, I don't know that I understood it. It definitely took a few years of formation. That's, that's the very purpose of formation, which, mm-hmm. so as a vocation director, working with the women who are discerning, but also working with their families. Um, I always say when I left education, I didn't have to do, you know, lesson plans and grading and parent conferences, but some of the parent conversations that I've had to have as a vocation director can be particularly difficult right. to try to help moms and dads understand what this life is like when they're not themselves living this vocation. Right. You spoke earlier about that phrase that I've heard you use often, and it's it's a very helpful phrase, and I, I think it's 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 touching, but it's it's also kind of captivating. The shape of one's heart. Can you say a little bit more about that? Because I don't think that's something that we acknowledge more deeply when it comes to uh, vocational discernment. Sure. First of all, it's really hard when I say that phrase to not just jump into like 90s boy band mode, but um, <laughs> I'll refrain, you know, so it's probably like copywritten or something. I don't want to get to the podcast in trouble. Sure. But yeah, the, the shape of one's heart. I remember when I was discerning and I 
was dating this guy. It was really great. And I had my dream job, dream boyfriend. It was like everything should have been filling my heart uh, in terms of the way the world would tell me my heart should be filled. And I remember thinking about the possibility of marriage and just feeling like it wasn't big enough for my heart. Mm. And for those who were called to marriage, I think it fits perfectly. And there, sh- there wouldn't be like this emptiness surrounding it, but it was almost like there was this emptiness surrounding my heart when I thought about it living marriage. Mm-hmm. And then when I thought about the possibility of giving my heart totally to Christ and belonging totally to him and loving hundreds of spiritual children, it expanded my heart to the, to the place where it, I felt like I could have burst. Mm. I was like, ah, yes, that is the shape of my heart. I don't feel like there's anything lacking in it. Um, for the way that I was designed to live and to love. And how much uh, there is this strong need in the church for that message to be heard, resoundingly heard over and over again, that for a world that probably looks at consecrated religious living in a convent as people who are boring, uninteresting, unattractive, leading miserable lives of celibacy and obedience and poverty, to say, no, you have no idea how expansive my heart is when given over to the Lord and he allows me to love through other people with a spiritual motherhood. Uh, that message just needs to be resounding throughout our culture. And, and how many women would find that attractive and perhaps don't even know it's an option on the table for them? I think, too, um, in some ways, I always kind of thought maybe, well, maybe spiritual motherhood is just the second best. You know, I'm not going to have children of my own, mm-hmm. but I'll find ways to love as a mother. And what I've learned, especially over the past several years after making final vows and, and living uh, you know, continuing in my apostolate as a high school teacher for another year and now being a vocation director is, oh man, spiritual motherhood is a real, it's the real deal and it mm-hmm. is not a second best. Um, right. There there are ways that the Lord has really just surprised me with his love through the ways that he's inviting me to be a mother. Well, I've experienced that as a spiritual father. You know, I, I'm in my 11th year as a high school chaplain and sometimes parents will say to me, Father Shane, my daughter or my son have opened up to you far more about things than they've ever opened up to me. And I live with this person, right? Um, but they might just stop by my office and just pour out their heart about everything they're struggling with or their past mistakes or you know troublesome areas of their lives. And I, I, there's a lot of parents out there who would long for that vulnerability and intimacy with their own children. And you know, for some reason, when they when they approach a priest or a religious, there is a there's a safe zone that's created in the context of wanting to help them grow spiritually, in which they feel much more capable of opening up. And, and the intimacy that that provides in which you know your counsel and your support and your accompaniment of people is bearing fruit in these spiritual children relationships, uh, it's, it's really exciting. It's quite life-giving. Right, and this is such a need in the heart of the church, right? We mm-hmm. Thanks be to God we have priests, and, and God willing, more men will respond to that call so that we can have the sacraments. But, but more so than just the sacraments, for a priest to be a sacrament maker, like we need priests to be spiritual fathers, and that case is the same for women. We need more spiritual mothers in the heart of the church and women who are willing to respond to that call to bring Christ's love into the world in, in this way and with a feminine touch. So, sister, if there's some women out there who just feel like, boy, you know, religious life kind of looks appealing. I've sort of thought of giving it some thought, some time and some energy, or maybe even there's been an initial movement in prayer where they feel like they are really invited by the Lord to check this out. But they're absolutely terrified of being kind of the outcast label or really feeling ostracized from their family, their friends, their lifestyle back home. Any words of comfort or consolation for them? I don't know if this is comfort or consolation, but I'll just say it's worth it. Um, And that there are a lot of unknowns and there are way more questions than there are answers at the beginning, but it's worth the risk of living the question Mm -hmm. Um, and just holding that, holding up your heart to the Lord and asking him is, is this the shape? And if it is, Lord, I ask you to take it and place it where it belongs in the the right Mm -hmm. place where I can be at home. 
Uh, we just had a young woman visit last weekend and she had actually been applying to another community for a time and in the midst of that just realized it wasn't the right space for her and she was super discouraged about it and thought she like misheard God and then uh, we were able to have a couple conversations and it led one thing led to another and now she's going to be applying with our community which is really a beautiful gift from the Lord um, but just to see the way that it, that came alive um, and I think that's my experience of, of watching people come alive in their vocation, both men and women alike, as people take initial steps and maybe take a risk of reaching out and having a conversation with a religious, which could be scary. Uh, but taking those initial steps, just pay attention for, is my heart coming alive as I'm taking this step? Mm. And you keep taking those steps until your heart becomes fully alive, which, you know, the glory of God is man fully alive. Christ comes that we have, might have life and have it abundantly. Mm-hmm. And any suggestions or tips on how they can take this to prayer? Uh, obviously visiting a community or, or speaking to a religious might make their heart come alive. And that can certainly come in prayer, but any, any methods that they could enter into that as they sit before the Lord. Sure. I think, I think just a, an utter honesty with the Lord. Uh, he's not afraid of your hopes and dreams and he's not afraid of your biggest fears. And I was, my sister and I both, like both religious, but our favorite show on TV when we would get home from school was a wedding story. I can't tell you how many episodes of a wedding story I watched and we'd be like, it's a Catholic wedding. Get down here. It's one of the stupid skydiving ones. Like, sure. We were like all about it, you know? Sure. So there, there's something that's kind of hopelessly romantic about both my sister and I, but, um, to not be afraid of those dreams too. And to not be afraid of, um, of having to let one dream go for another dream, um, that yeah, the nat- on the natural level, the call to to marriage and family life is it's natural, and so of course you want that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to identify if there's fears uh, and to let Jesus have those fears too. That's mm-hmm. a, that's a huge piece in prayer. Yeah, you're not shy about just dumping it all on Jesus, are you? In prayer? Oh no, no, no we got to just, just go. tell him what we it's need. Great, and that's that, <laughs> but that's also part of the spousal identity, right? Mm-hmm. So as as my spouse, like no, like I'm going to ask him to do things for me. Yeah. That's, Jesus, we got to talk this out. Jesus, we We're having a marriage out. meeting yeah. here. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, sister, in the midst of a drastic decline in the uh, the witness of consecrated women here in this country over the past 50 years, uh, we certainly want to thank you for your witness and your response to the Lord. Um, and not only that, it's just your constant response as a vocation director to help others in this whole process. And we certainly hope and pray that those who are, are hearing the voice of the Lord want to respond also with a generous heart so that that spiritual motherhood continues uh, just to bear fruit. So, Sister, thanks again for joining us. Best of luck with all of your ministry. I know you've gotten more stops along this little Midwest tour you're on, but uh, best of luck to you and your community. Thanks, Sister. Great. Thanks for having me. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in. Send your questions and comments to outcastcatholic at gmail.com. Catch you next time, and God bless.